listen to the following summary statements from the book of Acts. Listen to them and consider their common theme, okay? We'll put them on the screen here for you. Following summary statements from the book of Acts. There are a number of other summary statements in Acts, but these ones really really stood out to me. Acts 6-7, And the Word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Acts 12-24, But the Word of God increased and multiplied. Finally, Acts 19.20, So the Word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. As you may have noticed from reading Acts this past week, as far as we've gone in the book of Acts, this book, the fifth book of the Bible, the New Testament, sorry, the fifth book of the New Testament, this book is most definitely concerned with the growth of the early church. If you want to know something about Christianity, if you want to know something about the the church, what the church is, these are the earliest records that we have, the earliest historical records we have of what the church was like, of what the first Christians believed. In conversations I have with Roman Catholics, I always direct them back to this idea and say, let's go back to the earliest records that we have of what the first Christians believed and how they lived out their faith. And let's see there what we learn and find about that. That helps us oftentimes clarify what the church is supposed to be. And it helps us to judge the traditions that came later that may or may not be helpful in terms of really living out our faith. So that's what we can do when we look at the book of Acts. We know this book is about the growth of the early church. We see it in many other summary statements. But as these evenly distributed summary statements, take a look on the screen at those, you know, Acts 6, Acts 12, Acts 19, as those evenly distributed summary statements indicate, that church growth was inseparable from the growth of the gospel, from the increase of the gospel, as it's described here by Luke, the author of Acts. That's helpful to keep in mind as you continue to read through the book of Acts. And we've got, a, we've got a little ways to go in our daily readings. Our reading calendar is right there in back if you want to join us in that one chapter a day reading plan. But as you continue, think about that. As you're reading through Acts, think about that. How do I see the word increasing and multiplying? How do I see the word of God prevailing mightily? That's helpful when you're reading through the book of Acts. But I'd also like you to keep this idea in mind as we look at our main text this morning, which is, which is Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Acts 5, 17 through 21. Turn there if you have not already. So let me set up the passage for you a little bit. After the resurrected Jesus, crucified, resurrected, after He commissioned His disciples and then returned to the Father, the book of Acts describes for us early on how the Apostle Peter was used in a unique way, a powerful way, to preach the good news about Jesus to his fellow Jews in Jerusalem. Before our main text here in chapter 5, we've already heard three of Peter's evangelistic messages. Three of those messages. One is in Acts 2. That's the longest. 
the one you may know from the day of Pentecost. One is in Acts 3 after the healing of the paralyzed man. And there's a shorter one in Acts chapter 4 where Peter is speaking before the Jewish council. Now, when we arrive at chapter 5, look at verses 12 through 16. When we arrive there, we discover a longer summary statement, a more in-depth summary statement like the ones I mentioned before. But this longer summary statement is not only about Peter's ministry, but that of all of the apostles. Look with me at verses 12 and 13 before we get to our main passage. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. What were those signs and wonders? We know what they were. They were miraculous healings. They were demon, they were exorcisms, right? They were the casting out of evil spirits. Those kinds of signs and wonders were being done among the people by the hands of the apostles. That's all of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest, that is of the Jewish people, dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Now, in light of Luke-Acts, right, in light of Luke, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, this story then takes a frustratingly familiar turn in verse 17. Look at what we read. But the high priest, the Jewish high priest, rose up and all who were with him, that is uh, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and they put them in public, in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. That is, this eternal life that they've been preaching about. Eternal life through the author of life as Peter described Jesus in Acts chapter 3, verse 15. Speak to the people all the words of this life. And verse 21 tells And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now, okay, think about what we just saw there. We heard about resistance to the gospel. We heard about persistence with the gospel. And in the middle of it all, verses 19 and 20, we were given a reminder of what makes all the difference regarding the gospel. Now also think about why this matters. Why does a passage like this matter to us today, 2,000 years later? Why does it matter? Well, it matters because how God grows His church has not changed. Would you agree? How God grows His church has not changed. What was true for them is true for us as well. So let's look at each of those points more clearly. Resistance, persistence, difference. So first, in this passage, first in this passage, we once again read about resistance to the Word. We saw it in the Gospels with Jesus during His ministry. We saw it in the opening chapter of the book of Acts. 
right? You previously read in the opening verses of Acts chapter 4 about how Peter and John were arrested on a separate occasion. They were arrested, the two of them, before this imprisonment in chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. This time around, all of the apostles are thrown in the slammer for proclaiming the good news about Jesus. Now, this is one of six imprisonments mentioned in the book of Acts, and half of those involve Peter. (laughs) Poor Peter. Three times he's thrown in jail, right, for preaching the gospel. You'll read about that next time coming up in chapter 12. Now, think for a minute about who is responsible for the arrest of these men. Who is responsible for their incarceration? It's the very same men who two months before had arrested Jesus and had him killed through the Romans, by the Roman authorities. Now, Peter doesn't pull any punches about the identity of these people who are responsible. When he addressed the council during his first arrest, he spoke in Acts chapter 4, verse 10, and he talked about Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. And you'll see it all in those early chapters of Acts, talking to the crowds and when he's talking to the Jewish religious council, he will say it over and over again, this Jesus whom you crucified, the one you handed over, the one you killed, the one you betrayed... He doesn't hold back on that. He needs them to understand and take responsibility for what they did. To understand that bad news so that they could appreciate the glorious goodness of the good news that He was going to share with them. Of course, as we went on to read this past week, these same men would continue to resist the Gospel. As we read forward, didn't they? We read about the death of Stephen. Same people involved in this. We read about the introduction of Saul. They laid their feet, they laid their cloaks when they were stoning Stephen to death. They laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man, it says, named Saul. And then we read about Saul's zeal to persecute the church, the persecution that took place under him. And as we continue deeper into the book of Acts in the coming weeks, we're going to continue to hear about resistance to the gospel even among the Gentiles, individuals and Gentile authorities. Of course, as you know, we also continue to find resistance to the gospel in our world. We do, don't we? We continue to find this resistance to the gospel in our own world. This can look very different in different places around the world, but we know what has and what continues to drive this resistance. The Word of God highlights two factors for us that drives resistance to the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul speaks of a supernatural blindness, a spiritual blindness to the truth of the gospel and identifies at least one of its sources. He writes this, take a look. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God, little g, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul is saying there's something radically beautiful about the gospel that he knows speaks to the deepest needs of every single person. 
And every person is deeply hungry for the significance and life that the gospel alone brings. And yet, even if you laid it out for them as clearly as you could, right? You reveal it to be as attractive as it really, really is. Many would still resist. Like somebody dying of thirst and you're offering them fresh water and they won't drink it. Well, we know what God's Word says to us about this. There's a spiritual blindness, isn't there? That's what he's talking about. And as, as, as Paul highlights here, he's talking about this satanic, this demonic, this spiritual forces of darkness, this element. As Jesus taught in Matthew 13, 19, that parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, Satan is like that bird who steals the gospel seed from alongside the path. But Jesus, of course, would never support a the devil made me do it rationale, would he? That's not how he taught. He taught about the enemy, but he wouldn't subscribe to this idea, well, the devil made me do it. <laughs> Don't blame me. No. Because Jesus went on to highlight and His followers highlighted a second more fundamental, more foundational, more core factor behind people's resistance to the Gospel. Listen to how John describes it after commenting, while he's commenting on the teaching of Jesus in His Gospel. This is chapter 3, verses 19-20. through And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We love darkness. We don't want to be told we're wrong. We don't want to be told not to do the thing that we think gives us meaning and significance and pleasure, even though it's, it's distorted and it, and it hurts us and it hurts people around us. We love the darkness. For everyone, says John, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. The Jewish council back then, along with men and women today, resist the good news of Christ's lordship and His redemption because they love the idea of their own lordship. And they love their self-salvation projects. They love these things more than they love the truth. That's what the Word of God reveals. That's how it diagnoses our desperate condition. That's what fueled the jealousy that Luke is writing here about in chapter 5, verse 17. The jealousy of the religious leaders. But our great hope, this sounds very depressing, doesn't it? (laughs) Our great hope in the face of this demonic deception, our great hope in the face of depraved, the depraved human heart that beats in each one of us is precisely what Jesus Himself told Saul when He powerfully appeared to him on that road to Damascus. What did He say? Take a look. Acts chapter 26. I am delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
Isn't that great news? And who's being told this? The greatest persecutor of the church, Saul. That is hope, brothers and sisters. That is hope, friends. By God's amazing grace, like Saul, you can move from resistance to persistence. Resistance to the gospel to persistence with the gospel. That's the next idea from our main text here. Second, number two, we should be so thankful to read about the apostles' persistence with the word. Though Peter and John were ordered in chapter 4, verse 18, not to preach about Jesus, the Jewish authorities told them, don't keep preaching about Jesus. Stop preaching about Jesus. And even though all of them were now thrown in jail in our main passage, chapter 5, verse 18, when they were released, where do they go? Well, in obedience to the angelic instruction, they go right back to the very place they were arrested and they resume doing the very thing for which they were arrested. Did you notice that? Remember 5.12 told us they were preaching and healing in Solomon's portico. That was a covered walkway that ran along the east side of the temple in Jerusalem. So they were in the temple, like it says in 5.12, They were preaching. They were healing. They were ministering to the people and they were arrested there and taken. And what happens when they get released? They go right back to where they were and they start doing again the very thing that got them in trouble in the first place. I'd call that persistence. Now the question is, does that inspire you this morning? Follower of Jesus, does that inspire you? It should, right? It should. Who does the work of ministry belong to? Me? Yes. You? Yes. All of us? Yes. Everyone who belongs to Jesus, the work of ministry belongs to us. This should inspire us. Do you want to be this kind of disciple? Do you want to be this kind of disciple, the kind of Christ follower who when he or she encounters resistance, whether it be avoidance, whether it be dismissiveness, whether it be unkindness, whether it be some passive-aggressive pushback, whether it be scorn or hostility or, God forbid, even violence, do you want to be the kind of disciple who gets up again and goes right back to speaking about Jesus? Do you? Amen. Do you want your life to be marked by a persistence with the Word? We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. But if you do, then it's absolutely critical. You have to understand this central point of our main text. You have to go back to this with me and get this. If you look back at verses 19 and 20, we find that final idea. So third, notice this. Notice what this passage reveals about the real difference regarding the Word. Here's the real difference. Though there is a supernatural spiritual blindness exploited by a supernatural enemy, and it leads here in this passage to the imprisonment of the apostles, God Himself brings supernatural emancipation. No human planned this jailbreak. Right? There was no crack squad of early church special ops who were like planning, 
clear the table. And they throw the blueprint down, right? Where are you in place? We're breaking out the apostles right now. Okay. Night vision goggles. We're going in. We're taking them out. No. Obviously, that's silly. None of that happened. What did happen? An angel of God, one who stands in the presence of God Himself, shows up. And what does He do? He opens the prison doors. He needs no key. And He brings out, middle of the night, I'm sure there were guards there, they're just sound asleep. No one wakes up. No one hears 12 men being led out of the prison and back through the streets, Jerusalem, by daybreak into the temple. An angel. God's supernatural emancipation. But think about this. What the Jewish leaders were attempting to do, what they were attempting to do here by locking up the apostles was to lock up the Gospel. That's what they thought they could do. They thought they could lock up the Gospel. They thought they could throw the message about Jesus into a prison cell just like they thought that if they killed Jesus... It would put an end to him and his message. They were wonderfully wrong, weren't they? Wonderfully wrong. Unlike God's servants, God's Word is unjailable. You can't lock it up. Going back to Saul, also known as the Apostle Paul. His name didn't change. He just was known by both, right? Hebrew name, Saul. Greek name, Paul. Same guy. All the time. Paul. Listen to how he would later express this glorious truth. He understood this. Take a look. He writes to Timothy and says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. It's kind of a, it seems like a no-brainer. <laughs> uh, yeah, Paul, I remember Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's what I'm doing here in Ephesus. I'm like doing Jesus stuff all the time. Well, but he's like, hey, remember the person, remember the man, remember your Lord who is risen, who sits at the right hand of God, your high priest, remember him. And specifically, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, the Messiah, as preached in my gospel, remember him. But he says this, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. <gasps> the very one who once threw countless numbers of Christians into prison was now in prison because he was a Christian. Bound, captive, shackled. But don't miss these next words. I'm bound with chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. <laughs> I need a, like a hallelujah or something. <laughs> the Word of God is not bound, is it? And what does Paul say because of that? Therefore, because it's not bound, verse 10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Even my imprisonment. Because my imprisonment, I know it cannot stop the work of God. It cannot stop what's happening what has happened in my ministry, what is happening through my ministry, what will happen through my ministry, and more so through the ministry of God's people. 
I will endure everything, he says, for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Talk about putting things into perspective. That's what Paul does best. He puts everything into perspective. Stop thinking about your suffering right now and get your eyes set on, set on forever. Eternity. This is a blip on the radar screen. It is going to be gone in an instant. And forever endless years will stretch on. Who will you be then? Where will you be then? Paul knows, doesn't he? Paul knows. Remember Jesus Christ. The Word of God is not bound. Paul was convinced of what Acts tells us time and time again about his ministry, about the ministry of the other apostles and the ministries of so many other disciples. Philip, Stephen, and the list could go on. God Himself... Here's what we know. God Himself was spiritually, was supernaturally advancing His Word. He was advancing His Word through circumstances and advancing it right into the hearts of those that He had called to Himself. That is the work of God. That is Jesus Christ building His church and He cannot be stopped. He will not be stopped. Praise God. Glory. It's a glorious truth. God is supernaturally advancing His Word. What have we seen in Acts so far? The Word of God proclaimed in a symphony of foreign languages, gospel proclaimers supernaturally liberated from a prison cell, an Ethiopian eunuch reading the clearest Old Testament passage about Jesus at the exact moment that Philip runs up alongside his chariot, Saul, the great persecutor of the church, radically transformed into an incredible ambassador for the gospel. Don't tell me God's not supernaturally advancing His Word. And you will continue to see over and over and over again in this book, God at work, going ahead in the circumstance, supernaturally at work. You'll go on to read that, including the most common example of this, summed up in Acts 14, verse 3. Take a look. So they remained a long time, Paul and Barnabas, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Signs and wonders are not an end in themselves in the Bible. They are always given to point back to the veracity of the truth of God's Word. We have, we have people in this world who want to focus just on signs and wonders. But the signs and wonders are meaningless if they are not pointing people to the truth of the Gospel, the healing that only the Gospel can bring. That is more than just physical healing. That is more than just liberation from evil spirits. It is true eternal healing and liberation. It points back to the Word of His grace. Brothers and sisters, Luke wrote the book of Acts for his first readers, his ancient readers, and it was divinely given to us for the same reason. It was given that it might greatly encourage us in light of this fact. Take a look. God grows His church through the supernatural advance of His Word. 
God grows His church through the supernatural advance of His Word. That means that God has grown and will continue to grow this church through the supernatural advance of His Word. Nobody should be raising their hand saying, well, if it's grown, it's grown because I was doing this. If it's grown, it's grown because I was faithful to do this. Because I thought of this idea. Because I came up with this idea. Because of this circumstance. Because of this change in the economy. Because of this change in the culture. That's why it was. No, 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 no. If this church has grown, it's only grown because of the supernatural advance of God. As Acts reveals to us time and time again, nothing can stop the increase of the Gospel. Nothing. No political opposition can stop it. No cultural divide can stop it. No hard-hearted persecutor can stop it. No internal strife or assassination plot or even shipwreck can stop it. Therefore, be encouraged, believer. Be encouraged. It's easy to be discouraged, isn't it? It's very easy for us to get discouraged. But whatever resistance to the Word has looked like and will look like in your life or in this community, be encouraged. It cannot stop the advance of the Gospel in this place. How can we say that? Because the Word of God is being supernaturally advanced by God Himself. But please hear this equally biblical truth. Please hear this. Even though the Word of God cannot be shackled, you and I can. And we have to be honest about that this morning. Word of not, the Word of God cannot be bound. You can. I can. When the apostles were physically liberated from their prison cells here in Acts 5, they might have, had things gone a different direction, they might have remained shackled by fear of further persecution. And they might have gotten up and gone out, but they might have like, I'm going to the Mount of Olives or what? I'm like, I'm like out of here. I'm not going back to the temple. I'm a sitting duck in the temple. I'm going to get as far away from Jerusalem as I can. Go stay with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus up in Bethany. I'm going to go somewhere else, not here. They could have been shackled. But by God's grace, we read that they courageously resumed their preaching. Now, aren't we susceptible to the same temptations? Aren't we? Remember, we have a supernatural enemy who would love to shackle us? He delights in shackling us. Absolutely. He delights in shackling us. He, he would love to shackle us with fear. He would love to shackle us with indifference, with busyness, with distractedness, with feelings of inadequacy, with unbiblical rationales about our responsibilities. He would love to shackle us and He has shackled us in many ways. But those, even though the Word of God cannot be shackled, Satan would love to shackle our hearts. Word of God cannot be shackled, but we can be. 
But those very shackles should be shattered, broken, loosed by the reality that God is supernaturally at work. Think about it. God is supernaturally at work. If you believe that, shouldn't that rouse you? It's like sharing my faith with others, sharing an encouraging word to bless others. Okay, if I do that and God is supernaturally at work, wow, that's exciting. That's, that thrills my heart <laughs> to think about that, that I could, be, I could participate in that. Uh, it gives us courage, doesn't it? It, 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 it gives a, pri- a sense of priority to us about the most important thing that we could be doing in this world. You see, God's advance does involve us. This advance of His Word does involve us just as it did the apostles. But let's be clear, our job is not to get results. That's not your job to get results. You don't go out and say, how many times did I share the gospel with people this week? How many times did I mention the name of Jesus around people this week? How many times did I do something loving and kind and generous this week? How many times did I do that? Okay, wait a minute. Okay, oh wait, that, yeah, that, this, yeah, this equation works out really well. I can feel good about myself this week because I did that. I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back for that, right? Because these results look really good. No, 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 no. We don't do that. That's not our job is to get results where we're either encouraged because we seem to be getting the results that we have according to our metrics or discouraged because we're not seeing the results that we expect. Our calling brothers and sisters is simply to be faithful to speak. That's it. Just be faithful to speak. And remember, in most cases, it is not a sprint, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Don't get in your head these ideas of these rallies and revivals. Don't keep those in your mind. I'm going to lead five people to Christ this week. I'm going to pray with them. They're going to fall on their knees. There's going to be tears coming down their face. Just be faithful to live for the gospel, to share a word about Jesus, to pray for people. I mean, all of those things. Just be faithful to do those things. That's what these men were faithful to do. That's what they were courageous to do. God's advance does involve us. I'm incredibly thankful for the stories so many of you have shared with me. Stories about opportunities that you've had recently to practice this faithfulness of the Word. In those opportunities, and in our future opportunities, just talking about the Christian Explained class even as one that comes to mind. In our future opportunities, no matter what discouragements we face, no matter what discouragement you face, remember, God opens prison doors. Amen? God opens prison doors. Whatever you're feeling in terms of discouragement, stop and put it in perspective and say, this won't stop the gospel. This won't stop the gospel. What I'm feeling now will not stop the gospel. So brothers and sisters, let us live openly, let us share boldly, and let us pray regularly. There's your three application points. Live openly, share boldly, pray regularly. And let us remember that the very center of this message that we share is one. Take a look at this verse. 
The very center of this message is is one who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself. He knows what it's like. And remember that, says the author of Hebrews, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Amen? Let's pray. Would you pray? Let's pray together in light of this.